broadcasting under the night sky from the edge of an undisclosed jungle on the Gulf of Mexico. I'm Christopher Garitano, your voice in the night. For the next hour, allow me to be your guide into the bizarre unknown, the fantastic macabre, and together we'll journey to that borderland between fiction and reality, a place beyond all rational explanation. We are now off to the witch. I personally don't believe in tarot, but I am fascinated by its symbology and I'm fascinated by the influence that it has over your work, uh, your, your cinema, your literature, and the, the work of other artists. One thing is to believe in something, another thing is to know something. And then, I, when I have a tarot, I didn't understand the tarot. Why they say it's so big, so incredible? Why? And then I start to study the tarot. I went to the library. I memorized the tarot. I start to work seven years. And then I start to read the tarot, always free, never money, because it's sacred tarot. And in a moment, the tarot went inside me. I was a tarot myself. That was an interview with Alejandro Jodorowsky, filmmaker, poet, actor, artist, and tarot master who also invented a unique form of psychoanalysis and therapy called psychomagic. In the interview, a man in the audience expressed his admiration for Alejandro, yet he didn't believe in the tarot. Now 93 years old, Jodorowsky discovered the tarot when he was a child growing up in Chile. Work with the tarot to know what it is, because it is fantastic. In some years, you need to study this and live with this, to memorize this, and then suddenly, the magic comes. It's not to see the future, no? No. It's to open the intuition. That is what it is. Throughout a lifetime of profound human and mystical experiences, Alejandro, altogether a surrealist spiritual artist and a disciplined intellectual, studied the symbology of the tarot as he traveled the world seeking his own enlightenment and the expansion of the human consciousness where some might see the tarot as a mere paranormal game comparable to the Ouija board. Jodorowsky and others in the know perceive the enigmatic cards as a way to find yourself while building a soul. For Alejandro, his method of tarot using primarily the cards of Marseille is of self-examination, reconstruction, and enlightenment. All the limits who ask it, be like that, be like that, do like that, do like that, I will be myself. What is myself? I don't know. I will find. I will find. It's not a question of belief at all, but of application and understanding. 78 cards in a deck, 22 of which are of the major arcana, all hold a wealth of knowledge within its symbols. They can tell you your present situation by holding up a mirror to your personality, dreams, and sometimes the depths of your own abyss. No matter the mirror they hold, Jodorowsky's method is never one of destruction or ridicule. Tonight, we'll not only speak with a practitioner and lifelong student of the tarot, but she'll also give an example by reading my own present timeline. I'll return after this commercial break. After these messages, we'll be right back. Be prepared to live the most wonderful experience of your life.
Alejandro Jodorowsky's film classic, El Topo. I'm your host, Christopher Garitano, and tonight's guest, Tammy Chataway, is not only a practitioner of the tarot, but also someone who's spent a lifetime seeking revelations from corners of the paranormal and the occult. She's offered to read my tarot tonight on the show as well, so here's my interview with Tammy Chataway. So I was born in Newton, New Jersey, um, in this I, I don't want to say it's a big house, but it was a two-story house, basement with an attic, and it was about 100 years old. So this house was, I didn't know right away until we moved out of that house that everybody said it was haunted, but it was one of those things that was always fascinating to me anyways. I would be that little kid that would go to the library and check out books on ghosts and paranormal and ESP and aliens and I don't know if maybe my fascination was because I somehow knew that the house was haunted when I grew up in it. Do do you remember a particular time that you may have seen an apparition in that house or like what was the most profound experience that you had in that house? I don't remember seeing or hearing anything, but I also had a really overactive imagination. So I would always either pick up on something or create all of these things that I was afraid of or um, I don't know it was just a feeling more than anything else can you tell me about some of the things like you were heavily uh, ingesting at the time in terms of entertainment or even playing with the Ouija board were you doing all of the above I never played with a Ouija board in my life and everybody is shocked about that because I paint them all the time <laughs> but I've never used one. Um, I did read a lot of books about the paranormal. Aliens were a big thing for me, and also ghosts and psychic phenomenon. It's like when, we, when we're kids, it's one of the things we seek out because it's such a, a vast territory, and it almost feels like freedom because you know, you're into something that you might... Um, you might be able to peer into other worlds and you might have some control over it too in terms of spells and conjurings. Were you that type of kid? I would always pretend that I was and it was really weird um, because I was never really um, put into that type of environment. I know my, my grandmother was always into lucky numbers and horoscopes and crystals and my mom was into crystals for a while until we... I guess she had a change of heart and decided to start going to church. So that kind of took over my life for a while. But 
the weird thing was all of these things were fascinating to me from the moment that I had learned about them. So I was also basically shunned away from doing these things because I was in this uh, Christian religion. So even if I was curious about learning more about it, I was told that it was wrong. Do you remember the first time that somebody discouraged you from using this stuff and what happened? If you're if you're comfortable talking about it. Um, I, th- I think it was mostly just everyone in church talking about, you know, on, on their regular lessons and stuff. Oh, this is bad. That's bad. And I once mentioned in high school that I was interested in at least learning more about um, like the Wicca religion and the witchcraft and uh, the Satanism. And I was interested in at least knowing even when I mentioned to a friend that I was, I just wanted to do it for research purposes. Oh no, that opens a gate to the devil. And so that was basically it. But still, I I never stopped being fascinated. It wasn't until I was in my twenties when I went through a major life change. Um, I, I left the church for personal reasons. Um, I had just, dissolved a marriage that was really, really bad. And I was finally in a place by myself that I was able to allow myself to explore these new things that I was always interested in. So I started reading books and I started um, researching things online. And that's when I, I finally was able to learn more about these things that I was told was evil. And then finding out that they really were not because they were more peaceful. They were more um, positive than the religion that I had just left. Why do you think it is that particular religions see these things as evil? I don't know. When, when those conversations come up, sometimes I've, I've heard them myself. And, you know, it's usually a certain fear that's... Um, buried or it's inherent to the religion that it seems to defy god in some way or 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 others concept of god and i was always curious as to why because every religion seems to have its own series of implements and rituals the christian religion or catholic religion does Our, our main discussion obviously is the tarot and i've seen people afraid of the tarot cards. They don't even want them in their home. Have you experienced anything like that? I have actually, because my mother is so totally against it. The weird thing is we'll go to festivals and there'll be like a tarot reader or something there. And, um, she's cool with me go getting my cards done. However, my son had wanted to buy me a tarot deck and he had mentioned this to my mother when they were Christmas shopping. And she's like, oh, no, you're not allowed to have that in my house at all. And it was just one of those weird things. She just thinks that a, a deck of cards made out of cardstock carries some evil entities, even if it's mass-produced. And it's she once tried to stop me from uh, wearing a yin-yang because she learned somewhere that it was evil and it was satanic because in that particular re- religion, everything that is not quote unquote, of God is of the devil. So if it's not strictly Jesus based, then all of a sudden we're going to be, okay, now this music is bad, even though there is no negative message in it, or this TV show is bad, or um, this thing that you want to learn about is bad because it's not 
uplifting um, the Christian religion or God. I don't want to offend anybody by saying these things. No, and, I, and I'm never here to offend anybody either. I'm always here to think critically about things. Um, there was a movie made in the 80s. First was a novel called The Last Temptation of Christ. But within that, everyone from Christ, the character played by Willem Dafoe, uh, to John the Baptist, all of a, a good deal of those apostles seemed to be mystical, more mystical types. Christ himself was a mystic. So I think sometimes, unfortunately, people in in, in congregations... They hear something, something is said, and then it's repeated. And I think that's a lot of the fear of witchcraft, of tarot cards, of the occult itself. You know, obviously the word Satanism is very imposing for people, and it was designed to be that way. It, it, was, it was a stimulus, you know, uh, for the philosophy. But people in the Wiccan religions or, or people that are practitioners of Wicca, I've never seen them as harmful or threatening people. It's always been a serene thing, maybe even much more serene than any of the other Christian-type religions. I wonder how you feel about that. Um, actually, I've, I've found out that when I started delving into these other things, um, while I was at church, and I grew up in church, and I really was into youth group and we did all these events and these outings and I still felt isolated from everything that was going on. It wasn't until I started meeting people of witchcraft or paganism that I found out that those people were much less judgmental than the ones that I had grown up with, the ones that they said were so open and loving to everyone. But then I started learning that, yeah, okay, these people that I have been told were evil people my entire life uh, are willing to help out, are willing to be your friends, no judgment. They don't care, even if you're a different religion than they are, because they're open and honest to other people because they've had to deal with that their entire lives as well. It's, it's ironic because if you really think about the story of Christ, he's persecuted and executed for essentially being a witch, you know, saying <laughs> yeah. he has these powers, saying that he can heal and do all of these things. And out of fear, you know, that's why he's, he's destroyed. Um, but it's odd that, you know, people keep repeating that cycle to others. I ask you these questions because we're leading up to uh, something different on this show that I have, you know, I haven't done yet. And we're trying different things um, that you're actually going to read my tarot. And I want the audience for the people that don't understand uh, or have never gone through these cards or, or even had a tarot reading uh, to what the mechanism is like. But it's, in, it's interesting to understand your history and almost in a way that you've been persecuted for um, several traits that you have and beliefs, you know, if you don't mind me asking, what, it, what essentially are your spiritual beliefs? <laughs> um, I, I will say, um, I, I, okay. <laughs> I don't know how much you've picked up on. I don't know, um, what your personal beliefs are, but I, Basically, even after learning about witchcraft and paganism, and I dabbled in Wicca, but I found out that wasn't exactly for me. It was too strict. It was too by the book. And I always felt if I was going to do something, it was going to come from me and myself alone. 
And eventually I started learning and meeting other people of, let's say, the left-hand path. And I found out that was where I fit in a little bit better. How do you feel about tarot? When did you first start using the cards themselves? I actually, when I started learning more about witchcraft, I started meeting people and making friends with people in that religion. So we started talking about tarot cards, and I was very interested in that and candle magic. So I started, I got my first tarot deck when I was about 21, 22 years old, which was quite a long time ago. But for some reason, I think I was still really new and I was still a big overthinker, which I am still today, but I was trying to do everything exactly the way that they said. And for some reason, I was never able to really pick up on learning and understanding and it wasn't connecting the way that I had wanted it to. So I'd stopped it for quite some time and just kind of got out of it for a while, not saying that I wasn't interested in it because I was, and I love watching and getting it done from other people, but I always felt that I was unable to connect with it myself. It wasn't until I started working with the May Stringer house, I started meeting other people and they did do tarot and I've made so many friends that uplift me and, and basically are behind me 100% anything that I want to do. And one of my friends had bought me another tarot deck and I started getting back into it again. And for some reason, picking it up for the second time, 20 years later, it just, I don't know if it was because of life experiences and I was able to understand and connect with um, other people in different life paths and see things in a different way that I was finally able to, okay, this makes sense now. Now I can look at this. Now my own mind and my own um, second guessing myself was no longer in the way as much as it was before. I find it to be the same. It's this amazing uh, ritual of self-reflection, of figuring things out. It's very therapeutic. And um, there's so many of them. I, I'm not aware of all of them. You probably, in terms of the different versions of the tarot, can you discuss some of them that you've used and some of them that you really love? Because I know aesthetically, they're, a lot of them are beautiful. I've collected some uh, that are just gorgeous to look at. I think the one that everybody tries to tell you to start learning with, it's called the Rider Waite Smith. And that's one of the original tarot decks, it's been around for a very long time and everybody finds that that's the one and tells you that's the one you need to start learning with. But for some reason, when I was doing it, the, the guidebook and the meanings were so vague and all over the place, I was unable to really connect with that one. I understand the traditional meanings and themes and imagery within those cards. But I think when you connect with a deck, it has to be something that's personal to you. So I have a number of them that I've collected throughout the years, but there's maybe only two or three that I like to use on, on a frequent basis because they mean more to me. And for some reason that imagery within the decks connects with me more. I'm, I'm able to take the pictures and the images on these cards and see something. And I basically taught myself just by going through every deck one by one. I spent like an hour with, with each tarot deck as soon as I got it and I flipped through each card and I allowed myself like one minute for each one to sit there and go, okay, what is the first thing that I think about when I see this? What does this picture mean to me? What are they doing in the cards? And for 
that particular deck, can you describe some of the um, the icons on them? And and because I know there's a lot of depth and detail in every tarot. You know, just again le- reading about Yodorovsky, like he boiled it down to the Tower of Marseille, but it's down to the colors and analyze every little object on there and every little archetype. And you know, they have meaning. You know, it's such an ingenious set of symbology, in my opinion. Somebody gave me a really good piece of advice because I know each card has its own specific meaning and a lot of people stick to that traditional meaning every single time. But when I was learning for the first time, I have a a psychic friend and a medium who also does tarot cards at the festival we do um, at the May Stringer house. And she told me, she's like, I'm going to give you one piece of advice. She's like, do not second guess yourself. The very first thing that comes to mind when you see this card, that's what you talk about. Because most of the time, that's the correct way to go. So even though one card might have a traditional meaning, then whatever that meaning speaks to you at the time, it might not be the same every single time. You're going along the basis for the traditional meaning. However, It's like, okay, maybe this time I'm seeing a different image in that card because a lot of them have a lot of different pictures on them. There's so much going on in the background. How does that make you feel when you see it? And you can basically see or notice different things and your mind is going to pick up on a memory or something from the past or something you've been involved in, something you heard, something you read, even a song. That for some reason, it's like when you're reading a book, if you do it for, you know, if you read a book for the second time, you might see it a little bit differently. Just like when you're having a conversation with people, that person that you're doing those cards with, you might get different things from each person because no individual is the same either. That's true. And, you know, there's a obviously a mystical nature to it and maybe one day it could be explained through you know some kind of quantum method but what is it about the tarot that is able to um beyond a a place of self-reflection you know because we're all complicated beings so when you're laying these symbols down you might see something in every moment every day because it's a vast uh form of self-reflection but there's a there's a mystical element to it and just from your perspective, I don't know if it's there's any right or wrong answer to this, but um, you know, how do you feel about it? What do you think is moving the cards, in other words? That's hard to say. I don't really, I don't really know the mysticism behind it. I don't know if there are spirit guides. I don't typically lean towards spirit guides because again, like I said, this is a personal thing for me. I, I don't want to have to call on the angels or a spirit because I fully believe in myself and my own abilities. Um, even though I do overthink and second guess, I want to be able to be in that situation as a person with a, with an actual person right in front of me. And we're laying out these cards and everyone seems to get the cards that are meant for them at the time. And a lot of times when I'm doing it with people, it does become a conversation. I'll ask them for different keywords 
um, that they particularly are going through life in that moment that, that are the most important to them. And then we'll go off that subject matter. And whatever I'm seeing in those images and picking up on their body language and the things that they're telling me, it's, it's a way to connect with people. I love doing it for the interactions with all the different people that I like that I get to do it for. And I can sit there and instead of telling the future, like a lot of people like to do, I, my way of doing it is more of, again, a connection, but it's also, if I can tell them something that either confirms what they're going through or just they're, they're able to hear it from someone else. They're like, okay, I understand now somebody else gets it. I'm hearing it again. Um, and it basically reaffirms everything that they feel. Uh, and I can give them some advice based on it. Um, unfortunately, within doing so, I've you, you gain this weird connection with the people that you're doing with. And, and it becomes a relationship and there's a comfort level. And I never really fully understood this until recently. And I, I, I keep getting this with other people. They feel comfortable now. You, as the tarot reader, you're sitting there in front of them and they're expecting something from you. And there's a wall that drops. And what winds up happening is that people wind up telling me uh, personal situations that they're going through that I might not be prepared for. And I've learned so many things about people that I might not have wanted to know about them. But I, I do understand because when you're talking to somebody like um, a tarot reader, just like a therapist, you're able to get out your own emotions. And you're able to relate to somebody for a piece of advice just to have some clarity on what you're going through. So when that wall drops, you feel comfortable with the person. Because with a tarot reader, you might only see them that one time at a festival or like the psychic hotline. Or if you meet them um, online, that might be that one single interaction. So you feel a little bit more comfortable opening up and giving them more information to the situation. With that excess information that I'm given, I'm able to go a little bit more deeper to really have that conversation with my people and my guests. Yeah, it seems that way. To me, it's it's very much a form of, of therapy. And I think much more interesting at the very least than, um, you know, having a psychiatrist in the room just listening for nine months and trying to figure you out. It's, it's, and it can also be a form of self-reflection too. So I see it as very therapeutic and it's just strange that um, out of fear, there are so many people with certain religious hangups that are just simply afraid of the, the idea and not really, you know, I would say somewhat ignorant to the details of it all, because have you ever had an experience? And this isn't, you know, this is just, this is an honest question. I mean, not to just defend the idea of tarot, but to open the mind a bit. Have you ever had any kind of neg negative experience uh, or evil spirits come in because you were using tarot cards? Oh, no, not at all. <laughs> I've never had any experience when I felt that there were evil spirits coming through. I have had negative interactions with the people themselves, you know, but I don't ever push anybody to do it if they don't want to. I always offer it. I do tarot readings at the museum. Um, I offer it if people want to, but sometimes you'll see the people, Oh no, I don't want anything to do with that. Or, or they've had 
a negative experience with any reading where they learned something or heard something that they didn't want to hear. And that closes them off to a positive experience, which I might be able to give them because I don't like to do negative things. If something comes up that looks really bad, yeah, I, I have pulled a card for somebody and basically looked at them and, and said, um, just watch your back because there's somebody doing something in your life that you might not be aware of. But that's, again, you know, a piece of friendly advice that you can give to people. I don't like to worry about the spirits or the demonic entities or associations because that's not who I am as a person either. So if I don't allow these things to come into my life, they're not going to affect what I do. Do you think that the worry or the concern or the fear of things like that could perhaps amplify uh, an encounter or evil energy or dark energy around you? Oh, absolutely. I believe that if you are the type of person that is constantly in fear of what could happen, you're no longer allowing good things to happen. Because if you close yourself off from the positive possibilities, then you're not going to be able to focus on anything except for, except for the negative. So let's say it's like ghost hunting. If you go into a place that's um, you know, supposedly haunted or you're doing an investigation, people are afraid that they're going to get an attachment or it's automatically a demonic spirit. And I don't believe that at all because you're allowing these things. Your mind is way more powerful than anybody can ever know. You know, the power of thought and positive thinking and negative thinking is, is real because you're creating something within your own mind. And if you have that negative mindset, even within any life situation, you're constantly going to be thinking about that. Like what's the worst that could happen? And oh, this isn't going to work because, oh, I just have bad luck. But then you're closing yourself off to, okay, I'm going to work towards these positive things and not just allow these negative things to overwhelm me and take over my life. So if you go into a spirit situation and you're thinking that something negative is going to happen to you, then your own mind can potentially create these events happening around you. You're going to think of every tiny little sound and noise and things in within the atmosphere and you're going to take it and your mind's going to form it into something bad or evil or something that it's not because you've already created that scenario in your head. clean your streets and wash away your troubles. For every heart, there exists a wish. You ever play the numbers, Mr. Holloway? Hey, never take risks. For every soul, there burns a desire. Oh, it's up. Always was. It smells to me like we're gonna have visitors. 
<laughs> and for every wish, there will be a price. Then rang the bells, both loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. Where do you come from? The dust. Where do you go to? The grave. Yes. We are the hungry ones. Your torments call us like dogs in the night. And we do feed. And feed well. Tell me where the boys are hiding. And I can make you young again. Ray Bradbury's fantasy tale of light and darkness is getting closer. Something wicked this way comes. talked much about it in this interview so far, but you uh, not only, you know, are a practitioner of the tarot, um, but also, you know, you, you spend a lot of time and you work and, and lead ghost tours at an infamous haunted mansion, which is the May Stringer House. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, that's probably one of the best opportunities I've had in my entire life. Um, a little bit of backstory. I didn't even know it existed until I was at work a few years ago and a coworker had mentioned that her cousin had gone on a ghost tour. And I'm like, oh, we have something like that around here. She's like, oh yeah. So she gave me all the information. I booked a tour with my friends and we went and did a ghost tour with Bonnie, who is amazing. Um, and then I loved it so much that I came back with another group of friends six months later and we did another ghost hunt. I started talking to one of the volunteers and they convinced me um, to just give it a try. So this is really the only haunted place I've really, really investigated or um, absorbed into my life. So um, I'm able to have, I know it's weird, um, a relationship with the different spirits. Like I know the stories and I know their background. And when I'm when I'm telling my stories as a guide, I like to make people actually really be able to relate to them. I don't like to do my tours as just somebody who's walking through telling a story in a monotone voice, pointing out different artifacts. This happened here with this person. No, it's got to be a personal experience. I wind up getting really um, intense sometimes. Um, you've been on one of my tours. You've seen the, the entire show, <laughs> but it's a personal experience. And I want people to understand that this isn't just ghost hunting. It's not just something that's uh, a boring history lesson or hokey paranormal experiences that people create. But I'm, I'm letting you see things from the perspective of the people that have actually lived through those situations. And then it becomes more real. And you want to tell the stories and have them understand um, that these things actually happened. These people actually lived, even though we can't see them. Um, 
their stories are real their memories are real and and the entire atmosphere is filled with the energy of of all the stories of the people that came before us because everything that they did paved the way for who we are now what do you think a, a ghost is a ghost is just an energy of the person that lived just like everybody has different personalities now their ghost not all spirits are negative um we have so many different personalities while we're living and that personality and that energy carries over. So they're going to take, if there is ghosts and spirits and they are still wandering the earth in certain places that they died or objects that they're attached to, um, these things can carry over with them. So you're going to have like, um, the May Stringer house has multiple spirits, all from different time periods, all from people that lived there or objects that we've um, obtained throughout the years. We have over 13,000 artifacts. And if you believe in spirit attachments, we have a number of them because these objects, it's not, I don't personally believe that any spirits are trapped where they don't want to be. I don't believe in banishing them because for whatever reason they felt connected to either that place or that object because it meant something to them. And it's a comfort for those spirits, in my own opinion, um, that they're going to live their afterlife for whatever reason or whatever purpose, because that's something that was familiar to them. And so, you know, this, the spirits at May Stringer are large in part of people that actually passed away there, correct? A number of them, yes. Um, we have a few that are spirit attachments. Um, we have a little doll with a, a little girl um, who has attached herself to that doll. But of course, when you have a child with their favorite toy, they invest all of their all of their imagination and energies and emotions into that toy because it's no longer um, just an object. Now it's now it's their best friend. So when they pass on. Um, Especially in those days when, when little children, if they passed away at a young age, a lot of times it was from an illness. So maybe that favorite toy or doll was something that made them feel comfortable when they weren't feeling good. And if you have another object with an, with an adult, for instance, we also have a trunk with a spirit attached to it. We believe that that man attached to that trunk his entire life was with him. That was something that he carried around and lived his life while he was traveling um, with a number of personal experiences and objects in that particular trunk. So whatever happened to him, how he died, which we don't really know, but we've picked up on certain things during investigations um, that he's going to continue to be with that because that was his life. So now it's in a it's in a museum. It's not with the family anymore, but he's still going to be with it because that's what he's comfortable with. And I don't see that particular spirit as somebody that's going to move on into a spiritual plane. He just wants to be where he's at. So before we move into uh, my reading, can you tell me about uh, a profound ghost encounter at Maystringer? I've had. A few. Um, there are two in particular that were basically more prominent than the others. Um, one of them was I was walking on the second floor and I felt, you know, like if you're standing alone, there's nobody around and you know when somebody walks up behind you. It's just a feeling that we all get. Um, you feel somebody walk up behind you and it's like I got 
like chills. I just knew someone was there and they were looking over my shoulder and it was, it was very startling. It was not unsettling. It was not threatening, but it was something I was not expecting at the time. So I actually had to go downstairs and hang out with Bonnie for a few minutes and just kind of collect myself. Cause that was a feeling that I had never experienced in that way before. There was another time up in the attic when um, I was doing an investigation with my group and the guests who I've seen a hundred times take flash photography um, the cameras are going off the whole time. You know what that looks like. But for some reason at that, this one particular instance, a camera flash went off and I could see the outline of someone standing there that wasn't actually there. Of course, that drove me into my own investigation. I took my own camera out. I'm like, okay, I, I know you're here. I just saw you. Where did you go? <laughs> it's amazing. There's, you know, it's, it would require, a, you know, many volumes of, uh, encyclopedic volumes to like fully understand this. But I think a good way to do it in this episode is to go through the mechanics of a reading and you had offered to do that. So, um, you know, let's do it. What do what do we have to do? And I remind you, this is an audible experience. So if we can explain what you're doing as you're doing it and, um, what you need from me to do it. Yeah, no problem. So I'm going to use the, the Santa Muerta deck on you because I feel like it and it's fun. And I feel like you might connect with that one a little bit better. Uh, but what I need from you, which is something that I started doing recently, and it seems to be working out really, really well with um, everyone that I do it with. I want you to personally tell me three, three important things that are most on your mind right now, things that you're going through in your life. They could be anything... Um, they could be heavy subjects. They could be something stupid like a video game or a refrigerator. Just anything that's important to you in your life right now. Three things, and I'll need you to tell me those. Okay, three things. So it would be, and always, you know, self-evolution and self-improvement. Um, my movie making, my art, uh, and my family. And the movie making and art would include business as well, you know. So I might need you to remind me of these topics. Um, so the first one you said was your self-evolution. Family, and family includes all loved ones, everybody. So self-evolution was the first card, right? Mm -hmm. Self-evolution, self-improvement. So I guess you want me to kind of explain the cards. I, what I'm going to do, I will actually take a picture of all of them and I'll send them to you when we're done so you can kind of get a visual yourself. Um, but your first card was uh, the Ace of Pentacles, which is, it's, the Ace always signifies the beginning. Pentacles always signifies physical, tangible things. That's, that's your life that you're going through right now, your finances, your job, your career, your home. Um, and, and we see on this card, there's a big skull. It looks like it's, it's carved in stone. There's grass growing on it, but he's got a coin in his mouth. So this is the start in the beginning of something like a new chapter in your life, something that you're moving forward with right now, um, even though your old life might be feeling like it's covered in trees or it's an old stone carving that's just been forgotten. But now all of a sudden you see something bright and shiny that you never saw before. So this is signifying something new. Your evolution is going to be ongoing, but right now you're at a point in your life, you're at a new chapter that you have to maybe rethink things or you have to do things a different way. But this in turn is going to allow you to have a different pathway in your own life. 
So you're constantly evolving your own self for your own reasons, which we all have to do. And in doing so, you're leaving behind all of the old things that might have been forgotten or just don't work anymore. So the second card you said was your art and your business and... Um, yes. What was it? Yep. So, okay, <laughs> this one's funny. Um, you have the Six of Pentacles, which is also the same suit as before. This is also your physical, tangible world. But this shows this skeleton guy with a big hat. Um, he's got so much stuff piled up on top of him. So a lot of times when I do this card for people, um, I see kind of if you have too many things, you have too many possessions that are just covering over you you're getting buried underneath what you have and this also could be you have so many amazing and incredible ideas and you want to accomplish every single one of them your business and your art and your um all of the projects you're working on with the shows and the podcasts but there's so many of them that might become overwhelming because you have this this huge urge to just do every single one of them that maybe it becomes overwhelming and it does start to bury you because you you might reach a point where you don't know how you're going to accomplish it at all but you're, you're going to have to find a way to unbury yourself from that maybe delegate delegate different situations and also um, when it comes to everything that you want to do whatever's not working um, get rid of it there's nothing wrong with uh, decluttering, even when it comes to situations in life. No, it makes sense. And in the past, I would say it was much more that way. But I've learned to to focus on um, on projects that really are important to the present and the future. And so, right now, I don't feel buried. I feel like I'm working a lot, but I definitely don't feel overwhelmed. At least not yet. And that's the thing that could be just make sure that when you are working on all of these things, make sure that they don't overcome you. You you want your projects to show the world who you are, but you you don't want to become the projects themselves because then you lose something within yourself at the same time. Oh, I agree. I agree. And then your last card was for your family and your loved ones. And it's also pentacles. So this this suit um it apparently it's very important in your life because your physical tangible world and the things that you touch and the things that you create are a huge part of yourself because it's not it's not the spiritual plane it's it's your own personal everyday life that's important to you so this one is seven of pentacles and you see this skeleton it almost looks like he's standing behind kind of bars it could be taken as an abacus or it's like he's counting his blessings and he maybe it's like being on the outside looking in. And in a lot of my readings, I kind of feel that it's one of those things where you don't have to be on the outside. You can do everything that you want to with these people and for these people without feeling like you're on the outside. Um, for instance, in, in a personal story with your actual family, when we did um, the recreations at your brother's house for a hunting, we will go. 
when I personally went there, there was not a single time that I felt like I was excluded from anything. I actually felt like I was a part of the family and the group. So your entire family and situation and loved ones, you don't have to feel like an outsider because every single person in your life um, supports you and accepts you and, and encourages you to do the things. And you can count your blessings on this because it's, it's just who you are. Yeah, I appreciate that. And again, you know, that's that's the the beauty of the tarot. It's it's allows a moment of pause and self-reflection and then of course insight into everything. It allows you to step back and kind of, you know, even though like I don't I don't feel buried in what I'm doing. I always have to be cautious. So 100% it's accurate in that sense is that I have several new projects happening all at once. And it's like, I'm okay. You know, every day is going really well. Um, but you always have to make sure that you don't allow anything else in until everything is maintained properly and it's and you're getting the best quality out of yourself. So, you know, I hope like for the, you know, for the audience listening, it's um, these things. I think the tarot is amazing for self-reflection, you know, because Tammy is is dealing these cards. These things are coming up. And now I'm taking a moment of pause to kind of look deep into the moment. And then it reveals things. It unravels things. You know, that's, I think, the the beauty of of the tarot. And and really what I wanted to get into in this episode was to to kind of show an example of that. Is that how you feel about it? Uh, Yeah, because, again, within these conversations, you you do get to uncover feelings that you might not realize. Or even if initially it doesn't seem like something you can relate to, it's something that, okay, now I am thinking about it. And now, yeah, I do understand that this this is relevant. And it is an advice, and it's also a positive message, even though you're not overwhelmed. that is something you can take from it because you are already doing the things that are there, making sure that you're following that advice and not letting it overwhelm you. Right. So it's, you know, I've never seen anything negative about them. Even um, in the case of the Tower of Marseille, when the death card is dealt or uh, the devil, they're not necessarily negative things. Whereas, and we haven't really gone into this, but the Aleister Crowley deck seemed it came from him and he was he was a sinister character at times and so for its artwork you know i own one and i look at it and it's it's a fantastic artifact outside of that i don't really like to deal with it or his readings because this is a man who wanted to get inside of your head and um i find that to be quite dangerous outside of his you know i i think it's essentially a positive thing I mean, do you ever find it to be a negative thing? I, I don't find it to be negative um, because you're you're in this situation and you're having a conversation with the person in front of you um, and you're allowing them to relay their feelings and maybe get something off their chest that's been bothering them. You know, like when, when I ask people the three things that are most important to them and are more relevant in their life right now, it's something that's on their mind every single day. And there's a reason they're picking these topics because they want to talk about it. They want to be able to get something out or or just talk to somebody and have a different outsider's perspective from it to maybe have a little bit more understanding. Like when when a child is 
misbehaving, their parent can yell at them a hundred times. But if somebody outside of their parents talk to them, they're going to actually take that into consideration because it's not, it's from an outsider's perspective and it kind of shows them like, Oh my God. Okay. Somebody else is seeing this. Um, so it's, it's very, very great as a tool of communication and really getting to the bottom of other people's feelings. And, and it is kind of like a therapy. Um, my, my friend Autumn, she told me she's going to start calling me therapist because, because we did um, have discussions where people, um, they're, they're uncovering feelings that they might not tell you otherwise if it's just a one-on-one conversation with somebody you don't, don't really know. If you were able to, and I, and I suspect you believe you can, to retain your consciousness after physical death, what would you bring with you? Definitely my personality. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm that weird person that says I'm going to haunt my job after I die just so I can mess with the people that annoy me while I'm working. Um, I, I want to be able to bring myself into the situations when, let's say if I did wind up haunting the Maystringer house, and this has become such a huge part of my life for the past seven years, um, I want to be able to go in there and, and pass along my stories through these people's investigations and maybe um, show them who I was as a person, even though they can't see me anymore. I want to be able to um, communicate with the people that I care about and you know, even if it's somebody that I hadn't seen in years, you know, show them something or give them a little trinket or just leave random things around or push their chair out one inch farther than um, they thought it was just to show them, oh, wait, something's going on here. What is this? And and to me and my my own personality, I, I do like to joke around a lot. I'm, I'm very sarcastic. I like to mess with people just for fun. Um, and I want people to see that as well. I want them to see some weird, stupid situation or a bad joke and be like, oh, that was her. Welcome back to Off to the Witch. I'm your host, Christopher Garitano, and I want to thank you for joining us for the discussion of these fantastic cards. I encourage you to try them for yourself and learn of the Alejandro Jodorowsky method, as it's an incredible form of self-reflection. Next chapter begins Spooky Season, my two-part interview with the incredible comic book artist Steve Bissett who you might know as he was the illustrator of the DC Comics' Alan Moore Swamp Thing, as well as a horror comic book that gave me chills as a child titled Gore Shriek. We'll dive into the textured history and clockwork of the mind that drives an illustrator to inspire our imagination. Until next time, try to enjoy the daylight.